lead the meeting, but also open up the forum so we can all have a discussion. And if there's anyone who has any questions at any point, don't feel free. There's no wrong or right questions. There's no wrong or right answers. We're all here to learn together. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. So yeah, I'm just going to start. I'm going to start by reading um, in a new King James Version, just so everyone can get an understanding. Um, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read from, from verse, say around verse 15. So if we can all turn there, um, and, I'll, and I'll start reading in a few seconds. So what was the um, verse? Um, so First Corinthians chapter six, verse fifteen. Just let me know if you're all there. Everyone there? Cool. All right, so I'll just start reading quickly anyway. So this is Paul, basically, for those who don't know, who's speaking to the city of Corinth, to the Corinthian church. For those who don't know, during this time, the Corinthians were quite um, promiscuous in their endeavours and their actions. Um, so this is Paul just kind of teaching them about their behaviour and trying to, you know, get them back into living accordingly to the word of God because they were doing quite... Um, promiscuous things as I say but I'll get into it here um, so again from chapter 6 verse 15 do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot certainly not or do you or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her for the for the two he says shall become one flesh but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality, every sin that a man does outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So does anyone have anything to say about that at all? Or has anyone, has anything ministered to anybody? Uh, yes, um, you know, I actually heard uh, one of those verses. I believe the first part. I didn't. I didn't obviously read in depth, um, but someone was reading something to me. I, I believe I saw an Instagram actually, and it was um, a preacher addressing, you know, a room of people, and he was like, you know, raise your hand if you've uh, if you smoked before. A couple of people raised their hand, um, and then he asked, you know, raise your hand if you've taken like a provocative photo on Instagram. You know, obviously showing your body, everyone raised their hand and he read them the verse, you know, and the camera changes and it sees like the looks on people's faces. And a lot of people, you know, don't know. And I, for a time, I never knew, you know, that our bodies are the temple of God and we should, you know, respect because self-respect, this as, as, the, as a state, you know, this is not just our body. Once we're born again, once we turn to Christ in faith, you know, and in trueness you know, we become one with Christ, you know, and we have to respect our body. So that, that, that's just amazing, you know, that now we're obviously on this subject and I see in this post, you know, I feel like, I feel like it's something, it's something God's revealing, you know, and I just pray that revelations keep coming, God. That's one of the no, things, probably, you know, you know uh, me, me, you know? Yeah, 
personally, um, before I came to Christ, I was involved in a couple of things, but I wasn't, you know, as a lot of people, I wasn't taking time to respect myself, you know, sometimes, you know, smoking weed, well, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and then just doing hella stuff. But now I'm trying to, obviously, being born again, I'm trying to let go of those old habits. And that really resonates with me in a way, that verse. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. No, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. Has anyone, anyone else got anything to say? Yeah, no, like, um, there was, it was very similar, actually, um, to what the brother was saying. And oh, yeah. another scripture that also came to my mind was that you can neither be hot nor cold. Yeah. <laughs> and this, oh my God, like, when I, when I thought about it, I'm thinking that scripture, it, you know, it already came. And I'm thinking, you can neither be hot nor cold. You can neither be hot or cold nor lukewarm. And I feel like that there's a lot of lukewarm Christians that, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm just talking about in general. And, yeah. And, yeah, but that's, no, definitely, like, yeah. Because I, I used to struggle with lust myself and I still do, but, you know like yeah. it's about i think it's more or less about just trusting and and just surrendering yourself and just really trusting god just really trusting jesus and yeah. but yeah that's what i've got to say for them no thank you bro thank you man thank you for sharing anybody else got anything does anyone else feel like that scripture minister to anyone who's just joined the meeting as well if you could place yourself on mute just for the sake of anyone talking this so there's no kind of like distortion um but yeah i'm gonna just quickly i think for me I think for all of us, you know, I think, you know, we all suffer from a form of temptation because we're all spiritual beings having a human experience, which means that the two are always counteracting, conflicting each other. The flesh is always going to fight against the spirit. So the things that appeal to the flesh, sometimes it starts as a, a seed of thought in our mind. So the fact that you might see someone and you might have an idea of, of committing an act with that person, even that in itself is a sin, but to carry it out, to actually take action upon, upon that thought that you have, that's when you're actually action in the sin. But in terms of what Paul's saying during this time, like I said, um, in the city of Corinth, a lot of the Corinthians during that time were basically worshipping a, a Greek goddess, which I'm sure some of you have heard of, called Aphrodite. Now, what the worship entailed during that time was where the prostitutes from that area would go to the temple. And what would happen is, in form of their worship to that Greek goddess, Aphrodite, they would engage in sexual um, uh, acts with various people who would go to this temple for that worship. And those men who would pay that, those prostitutes, that money would go towards the temple and go towards the Greek goddess Aphrodite. It was more or less a cult. So what Paul was doing, what Paul was saying in this verse, uh, specifically when he says that, um, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That sticks out to me because we're the body of Christ, right? Um, all of us are individual. We're all individuals, but we're all part of the body of Christ. But also at the same time, it just shows you that we're joint with Christ. We're joint with Christ. So, and also our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying in essence is, in order for you, if you commit a sinful act, as in fornication with someone outside of marriage, it's not just a sin against yourself, but it's a sin against Jesus. It's a sin against Jesus because we're joint with Christ. So that's how serious it is. And that's what he's talking about in the scripture. And when he says, 
shall I then take the members of Christ being us and make them members of a harlot? Um, I know that might be a bit difficult to explain. So what I'll do, I'll speak of my own personal experience before I came to Christ. I've been in Christ for three years. And let me know if anyone's experienced the same sort of thing. Have you, I, I've been in a relationship before. And in, in that relationship, I've obviously, well, not obviously, but um, mistakenly and, and before Christ, without the knowledge of understanding who I am, committed fornication. Now, when you break up with that person, and you leave that person, I don't know if anybody else, but don't you find that you always find it difficult when you separate yourself from that person because there's still an emotional attachment. Because of the fornication, it says you're one flesh, two become one. So it's not just an act of two fleshes coming together, it's the joint between emotion, it's a joint between flesh, and it's a joint between spirit. So what I'm saying is when you separate from that person, you find it difficult to maybe immediately move on because you've still got that attachment to that person either it be emotionally you can't stop thinking about that person you know if you lived with them or they always used to come around your house you start missing their presence you know um you just struggle basically in your life to move on and move forward and find another partner to be with because that person that you was with is still uh has a strong bearing over your of your thinking over how you feel and just your overall being so the reason why Paul's saying it's a sin to do that is because when you experience all these different types of things, it should only happen in a marriage. So I just want to know, does anyone, has anyone had that type of experience? Like, if anyone here has sinned in terms of fornication outside marriage? Yeah? Okay, one person, cool. Um, I'm just going to say, I'm going to guess a few of us have, have done that. Um, and, yeah, again, for me, like, like I said, I think one of the main sort of part, part, uh, verses for me that stick out as well is when it says that you know our body is a temple of the holy spirit you know when we come when we become christian we become born again we're a new creation in christ you know and, and we have a there's two forms of baptism for those who don't know there's a public declaration of you having a baptism in your church if you've done that or if you've not which is a declaration to let everybody know that this is the life you're walking in and then there's a second form of baptism which is the baptism of the holy spirit which is what jesus had so when Jesus came, Jesus was baptized by, the, by, by John the Baptist, but he was also baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do any, any prayers. He didn't do any missions. He didn't do any, any miracles about the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe that we all have the Holy Spirit because we're new creations in Christ. Hence why we have that conviction as well. So it's a sin against the Holy Spirit because your body is the temple. Um, so that's how serious, um, you know, sex outside of marriage is as a sin. It also states in the Bible that those who, commit fornication will not inherit the kingdom of god go ahead bro um i have a question so you know before i came to christ right i was doing things for example i was sinning against god unknowingly in the sense of i i i knew it was a sin but there was no real conviction in a sense like now when i'm the, the weight of conviction is a lot more heavier if you understand what i'm trying to say than before a new christ like for real you know what i mean so the question is people that are you know not born again do they have the holy spirit in them because in order to in order to feel that conviction I, that's what i've just been thinking about like you know what i mean like in order to feel that conviction what is it is it our consciousness that allows us to feel that, like, like for example, if you to go out and do something, you know what I mean? Go out with a girl, then the next day you leave, and 
you know what I mean? You have sex, that's fornication, sexual morality, whatever it is, you know, and you feel bad after. A lot of people try and suppress that. Is that feeling bad? Is that the Holy Spirit or is it that, or, or is it that consciousness? You know what I mean? Is it their consciousness? Um, it's the, the p- people that are in the world, those who are not saved by Christ, those who are not living and walking in, in, in the faith, they're not going to feel any sense of conviction. The reason why is because their life, their living, is based off their own understanding. If they're not living in Christ, they're not going to have that conviction. They're not going to have the Holy Spirit giving them that feeling of what I've done is just wrong. So basically what they're doing is leaning on their own form of understanding rather than knowing the word of God, reading the scriptures and having a personal relationship with God. So, you know, I didn't. I'm saying that from my experience. When I was living in the world and I was sinning, I didn't have no conviction. In fact, it was more premeditated sin. It was more about how much more. It was, it was all my own flesh. That's why I said to you about the Holy Spirit and flesh. That like I was just fulfilling my own fleshly desires, which is what these people are doing. Yeah, so these people in this scripture in Corinth, they were fulfilling their own fleshly desires. They, there wasn't any thought of, you know, am I sinning against God? Do you get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you for asking anybody, the question. Though. No okay. worries. Anybody else got a question? No? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, if we can turn to 1 Corinthians 10, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 10, verse 13. Hold on, give me just a moment, sorry. And bro, um, sorry, yeah. I have a, I had, uh, another question came up. You know, basically, yeah. I was just thinking, I was just thinking. So, like I was watching, um, a couple of days ago, I was watching a street preacher, and his name was David Lynn. And obviously this guy he was preaching and he was um he was preaching and this woman came up to him or I, I don't know if it was a man or woman, but basically what happened was he was preaching to her for him the real gospel, like not a watered down version. And this woman was saying, Oh, you're preaching, or this man was saying, Oh, you're preaching, hey, this is this. And David Lynn said, Look, the Holy Spirit is convicting you, even though this person, from my understanding, was wasn't a Christian, you know. So could the Holy Spirit convict someone that is not like, uh, is that biblical in a sense? Is that biblical? Like the Holy Spirit can convict someone that what is, I wanna, someone's yeah, in the I world. Wanna, what I want to do is, because I'm like, I'm, I'm quite big on grammatical language. So what I want us to do is I'm going to look at the actual definition of the word conviction. So just bear okay. me just to go. Yeah. So just so we can get an understanding of what that word means. All right. Give me a moment, sorry. Cool. Okay, so it says, a formal declaration by verdict of a jury or a decision of a judge in a court of law, someone who's guilty. Um, Then it says, to a firmly held belief or opinion that someone takes pride in stating their political convictions, his convictions that death is no longer accident. I don't know if that's a good definition, but I feel like, mm. how can I put it? If I was walking along the road and I heard someone preaching the word of God and they were saying something that, that made me feel convicted. So say for example, that that person was talking about the fact that I was only 
in central London to buy material goods, but I didn't care about my spiritual well-being. That is a mm. sign of conviction. So for me, someone mm. who's just walking the world and hearing someone preaching the word of God in a sense where, um, yeah, I feel convicted in the sense where what he's saying is making me feel like what I'm doing is bad. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's yeah, how yeah. I kind of interpret I, That's how I interpret it. You know, mm, I, can't okay. speak, I can't I can't speak on exact on that exact conversation what you're talking about. Mm. But what happens yeah. is what happens is, and I'll say it for myself personally, um, mm. who's preached who's preached God's word in the street myself. What happens mm. is when you're saying certain things that I, I use this word loosely, offend, yeah, mm. offend mm. people. Um, because what happens is people who live in darkness are very mm. happy living in darkness. So when you come and preach the gospel. It's light. And basically uh, what that does, it disturbs their lifestyle of living in darkness because it means that they feel like they need to make a change, but they don't want to make a change. So what they'll do is so what they'll do is they'll argue. It's like what it says in the Bible, you know. It says there are times where they'll make evil good and good evil. Do you understand mm. what I mean? They'll make dark light and light evil. So what it is is just they're trying to argue they they're trying to justify sin, which sin okay. can't be justified. You you never know. Know. Okay, yeah. thank you. Um, no can I say something? Why sometimes? Why is it quite difficult for people to um, to accept Christ? Is it because the devil has bound them so that they can't see the truth, or is it because that something's preventing them from doing it because they're afraid that they will be judged? Why? 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 Why is it quite difficult for them to turn from their ways? Or? Um. I'm going to speak for myself because I can't speak for everybody. I would say it, it's just what I said, really. A lot of people are comfortable living in sin. I was comfortable living in sin. So what it meant for me, the reason, like I only gave my life to Christ three years ago. I could have given my life to Christ anytime I wanted to. But I knew that if I gave my life to Christ, I would have to stop drinking. I'd have to stop smoking. I'd have to stop fornicating. I'd have to stop all my sin. But when you've been living a life of sin for so long, it becomes, it becomes your life. It becomes a normality. So what happens is people are just not willing to let go of a lifestyle of sin. So what they do is they try to justify their sin and they try to pick up points of the scripture and Bible and, and say to people, preach love, stop preaching hate, preach love. But love is being honest. Love is kind. Love is, love is being able to tell the truth. So for me, I didn't want to give my life to Christ because I held on to my sin. I enjoyed partying. I enjoyed fornicating. I enjoyed sex before marriage. I knew if I gave my life to Christ, I'd have to stop that. But guess what? A lot of people don't get told the secret. The secret is that you don't have to give up all that sin by yourself. The grace of God removes the desire to actually sin. You know, and that's what people have this thing in their mind of like, oh, I have to do all this work. But you don't have to do that work. God is with you. God actually helps you through the process. He removes all of that. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this boldly. Like, I was someone who used to watch pornography a lot. I was someone who used to sleep like with girls literally all the time. And that was something that I thought it was impossible to stop. Like it was no way. Like, how can I stop that? I've been doing it my whole life since I was a teenager. How am I gonna just stop like that? But I but God just removed the desire. Like there was no desire. Don't get me wrong, temptations come, but the desire to do it was removed. To so how that answers your question. Yeah. Um so yeah, so 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 30, verse 13. Give me a moment. Um, um, 
Okay, I'll go from 12, okay? So it says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands takes heed, lest he fall. No temptation has, has overtaken you except, except such as common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, you also make the way, it, sorry, um, the, the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what this is talking about is that God will always, you will always, like all of us will have temptation. So the desire, so that you might like, okay, how can I put it? Two years ago, I'll be honest with you, like, this is my journey, my transparency. I was in South London two years ago. This was like my first year in Christ. And I saw these girls, yeah, that were like, this girl, so she was like from America. I think she was like, I don't know, Puerto Rican or something. Now, the devil knew what I liked. Like, I liked Puerto Rican women. That was like one of the things I desired. So the, the devil placed that in front of me and I went out, we were together, whatever. Anyway, that was the temptation. Now, the God, like this temptation wasn't something that I couldn't get over, I couldn't escape. There's always an area for me to escape this temptation rather than me to say, do you know what? I'm here now, I'm with this girl, I might as well just sin, I might as well just sleep with her. Long story less long, I ended up going back to this girl's Airbnb and she wanted to sleep with me. Like she made it like so abundantly clear all she was interested in was to sleep with me. Now, I didn't sleep with her. In fact, I left. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I'm saying, the scripture says that there will always be a window of opportunity for you to escape temptation because temptation will come as a Christian. You'll always be tempted. You'll be tempted to fornicate. You'll be tempted to do so many different things. But what the scripture is talking about is you'll be given the opportunity to escape. Uh, any questions on that one? Nope. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, has anyone got any, any, any sort of things that they feel like in, in pertaining to this specific subject in terms of like fornication and sex before marriage, would anybody here say that this is an area of their Christian walk that has yeah. been a struggle? Yeah, um, obviously, that's one of the things that um, I've been struggling with. You know what I mean? Car. Obviously, my being my age, there's a lot of um, influence through music, through movies, through all of these things that I believe are put in place to destroy us. And a lot of people, at a time I was even, you know I mean, following this agenda, whatever you want to call it. And uh, what you said about there being a window for escape is very, you know, that's one of the things, that's actually one of the things that uh, I had to come to terms with, that there is an escape. Uh, you know, going back to what you said about people like being in sin, you know, for a time, even, even when I was born again, even when I was born again, you know, I'd come to, temptation would happen. I say, man, I'm in quarantine. You know what I mean? I'm home alone. Like, this is, this is pornography, obviously. The Wi-Fi is here. No one's here. You know what I'm saying? No one's here. Like, why not? Why, why am I, even why am I being put in this position? You know, and I used to allow myself to think, or the enemy used to allow me to think that there's no, there's no escape. You can't overcome this. You know, and, and, and praise be to God, I prayed on this, because I saw this weren't normal. You know, that, that I have this idea in my head and over some time, God worked, praise God. And, you know, he revealed to me that, you know, that we do have a window of escape. But I still, it's still one of the ongoing battles 
I'll overcome it, not by my might, but by the grace of God. And that's one of the things I need to, you know, us as Christians, we need to keep saying to ourselves. Because I feel like, you know, sometimes we always want to be in control. We always want to have a grip on what's going on in our lives. We have to give room for God to work, you know? And that's one of the things, that's one of the many things I'm still trying to implement in my life and learn slowly. So, yeah, so that's, that's that. No, 100%. I agree with you, man. And I think one of the mature things that we need to realise is that when we come into Christ, we need to have this realisation that we're not on a playground, we're on a battleground. Do you understand? So with the fact that you're on a battleground, there's going to be so many different forms of weapons that are be placed to attack you, to get you. But they won't be very obvious weapons. And some of those weapons, you know, I like, I, I, I say this joke with some of my guys, the weapons that will be placed against you will be some very beautiful looking women that have the desire to take you out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And they'll come packaged very well. Um, so I think that's why, you know, I think in the scriptures it also says to test the spirits. You know, that means everybody, not just, you know, people in um, uh, ministry or people in churches, but test all spirits of people that say that they're Christian. But really, sometimes their hearts are far from God. They're not really walking in Christ. Like our brother Raymond said, you've got some people that are lukewarm. Some people that are, I know many Christians that say, that, that say openly to me that they have sex before marriage, like openly. And they, they you know, and it's, 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 it's almost trying to create a culture of normality in our walk. And it's not because we live by what the word of God says. So um, someone just put a question in. I'm just going to read it. So I think it's David. Um, so David, I'm just going to ask you to kind of phrase the question a, a bit because it says it is important for the for sex after marriage because I see uh, yeah if you're if you're if, I think what they're saying is it's still important to have sex whilst in marriage yeah definitely because it's blessed you know it's a covenant before God because like I said the scripture says two become one flesh you know and in order for two to become one flesh it's spiritual it's physical it's emotional and that has to be in a marriage it can't be something outside of a marriage even if you're engaged even if your wedding's tomorrow and you're engaged and you're with your wife today it's still a sin for you sorry your fiance to have sex with your fiance before marriage um you know i went to a wedding uh not a wedding i went to a marriage um seminar a year ago and, and some of the married couples said that the devil was very clever because he said that whilst they were courting and that, that, that the devil tried to make those people who were engaged have sex before marriage, um, knowing that it would be a sin against God. And when they do get married, when they did get married, the devil works very hard to stop them having sex. So it's like one other thing I, I, that, I, that ministered to me as well is that we noticed that if we go to the book of Genesis, the devil didn't make an appearance until Eve came on the scene meaning that the devil was very afraid of the corporate entity between man and woman. As soon as Eve was presented as Adam's helpmate, that's when the enemy came, because he, there's a fear of that corporate entity in terms of what God's created to, to procreate. So we also know that, you know, that's, that's also a very big fact that the enemy's scared of is us coming together. And, because there's a purpose behind marriage, there's a purpose behind two people coming together. It isn't just to have sex, it isn't just to enjoy each other, it's two people who are sound in the word of God, who are living for Christ and both have purpose. Um, so I'm just going to ask that question again. Hold on. Can the person be normal without sex? Um, I'm not sure what that means, bro. I'm not sure what that means. The person, yeah, you can be, bro. Like, 
I'm not sure if can you elaborate in that question. But yeah, I'm not sure what you mean if the person can be normal without sex. But don't worry, there's no there's no wrong or right questions here. Like trust me, we're all here to learn, so don't worry about it. Um, um, bro, I was I have a question as well. I believe, or maybe it's more of a statement, but I believe there's some certain Christians that have an anointing. Sorry, hold on, someone just. Yeah, sorry, I was saying, um, I believe there's some Christians that have an anointing that allows them to, for example, I can't remember, I was reading the book of, man, I, I think I was reading the book of Romans and it was, tell, it was speaking about how the structure of marriage should be, it was saying like, um, you know, if I was, I believe it's Paul speaking, you know, if I was you, I would refrain from you know, marriage in a sense. And I, 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 one day I'll get the verse up and you're saying I was restrained from marriage because I'm able to, you know, because one mind would be trying to please your wife, the other would be trying to, you know, trying to um, raise funds to do whatever. And then some part of your mind is on God. And he said, it's not a law from God, but me personally giving you advice, I just remain solely on God. And I believe some people have an anointing, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that allows them to not, have that have a, it, they'll have an urge to go and speak to women but they can control it more or even that urge may not even be there you know what i'm saying so is that is that true because i've been yeah. hearing something mm. yeah you're right you're right but you have to be very careful with that one because like mm. if you're not going to um align yourself that you're right there, there is people like that there are like very like men that have been called by god to carry out certain missions and carry out certain mm -hmm. works you know um, and those men are to refrain from women because they've got a specific purpose that God's deposited in them. Um, but if you're not, if you're just trying to be out here by single by yourself, then you're on a mad one. But um, if God's actually, if God's anointed you and there is a calling, there is a scripture for it, I've, I've seen it. Um, um, but then there's also another scripture that says, if you're unable to resist the burning desire to be with your yes, woman, then, then marry, uh, then you get married, like it's like they, they prompt you to do that. But yeah, there is those two things, definitely, for sure. Um, anyone else got a question? Another question is, you know, being so young, <laughs> and you know, like, how do I say this? Would you recommend, obviously, when, when we're walking with Christ, we have another, uh, we're, not, we're not, like, uh, we don't phrase, we phrase things differently, we try to implement that in our life. For example, we let the Holy Spirit lead us. We don't say, so far ahead, I'm going to do this, this, this. But by the will of God, you know, I'll do this, if you understand what I'm saying. So, me personally, I have, I love women, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> you know, so, so it's like, should I get, like, I know this is going to be a mad question. And obviously, like, mm. should, should marriage come so young? Because a lot of people are against getting married at such a young age. Let's say, for example, 18, 19, 20, 21. But if God blesses you and gives you that woman, then I wouldn't see the issue, but it's like, it's like, what, what, what is your um, understanding or what is your thoughts on getting married young to, to combat that urge? Like, um, I wouldn't, my answer to that question would be, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't mm. recommend just getting married for the sake of marrying because you have the burning desire to be with women. Marriage is a very serious thing in the sense of there's a process. So, mm. In order for you to marry somebody, there's the friendship stage, there's the courtship stage, then there's the marriage stage. 
those three mm. processes are not something that can be done overnight. So you could meet somebody tomorrow, but it might take you a while to build up a friendship with that woman. And then once you, if you've done things properly, you've prayed about it, you spoke to God about it, then you engaged in courtship. Then, the, the, bro, trust me, it's a process. Like, get, even for me, and like, you know, I'm not young, you know, there's a process in which, like, for example, when we're young or when I was young, in order for me to go out, I had to ask my parents permission. I had to get money to get to go out and so on and so forth. So what I'm saying is in terms of you seeking a partner, that's something that you have to speak to God about and you have to get God, I wouldn't say his approval, but you have to bring it before God because there's something that was brought to my attention about a year ago. The devil will present you, which I, I don't want to prophesy this, but the devil can sometimes present people mm. with mm. counterfeit, counterfeit husbands, counterfeit wives, meaning it will be dressed up and look like somebody that you want to be with. And it might speak to your flesh. You might be like, oh, she's Christian. She's in the word of God. She goes to that church. Like, she's a good woman. Like, I think she's the one. But you haven't spoken to God about it. Sometimes that's a big error because God is able to bring forth some of the things of that woman that isn't for you. She could be a lukewarm Christian, but you don't know. Do you understand what I mean? She might still go to church, but she actually might be someone who's just like, well, actually, do you know what? Um, now that we're caught in, I just want to be honest with you. I don't see a problem with us having sex before marriage. So she could actually bring you into sin without you knowing it. So that's why it's mm. important. Even for women as well, it's important for us both to speak to God about who it is that we're seeking. Sorry, um, Jess. Um, I want to say, um, what does courtship involve? Is it like properly getting to know the person? Like, prop is it be, um, it, does it involve getting to know the person before dating? Or is it dating and getting to know the person at the same time? Yeah, so courtship is basically a biblical word and term used for dating. Um, so yeah, so courtship is basically dating from a kingdom perspective. So you're getting to know that person as you're dating them, but you're also trying to understand and see if that you're a right compatible fit for marriage. So the whole purpose between courting is, court to, is, is with the intention of marrying. Whereas in the world, it's just dating. Like we're, just, we're just dating for the sake of dating. We'll see where this goes. Um, so yeah, there needs to be an intention behind dating when you're, sorry, when you're courting, getting to know that person, finding out all that you can um, prior to seeing if this person's like who you want to be with for a husband. Um, sorry, David, that's a question. Give me a sec. It is important to get married, even if the Holy Spirit told you the right person, but the person does not want marriage. Um, so yeah, David, you asked the question, is, is it important to get married even, even if the Holy Spirit told you the right person but the person doesn't want marriage, can that be possible or say no to marriage? Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, there is this thing sometimes where people say that they've heard from God that this is supposed to be there. They've got a vision or something that this person is supposed to be there, um, their husband or their wife. This is, quite, this, is, this, this is a tricky one. This is why you have to pray about it because it's happened to me. Someone said to me, I've got a vision that you're supposed to be my husband. But my response was, how come God told you but didn't tell me? Doesn't make sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So God is not a God of confusion. Um, so respectfully, David, I'll respond to that question by saying that, um, it's, again, it's what I said to Jess. It's about courtship. So if you've, if you've established a friendship with this person and then you've both decided together that you want to court, it's through that courting process where you would both be praying. I'll give an example. My friend was courting this, is, well, actually, no, he's not courting her anymore. Um, basically he was caught in this girl and he stopped speaking to her for a week 
And what he did was he went and he fasted and he prayed to know from God, to hear from God, if she was to be his wife. During that time, she was worried. She was like, why are you speaking to me? What's going on? And he said, I need, I need to spend some time with God. He didn't tell her why, but he just did. During that time, she also went away, fasted and prayed to God. Now, they both got confirmation from God that they were to be together. Today, I'm actually one of the groomsmen. He's proposed to her. They're getting married literally in a few weeks. So that's their, that's their way of doing it. So I think everyone has their own method and way in doing things in terms of finding out from God if they're to be together or, you know? So that's my answer, uh, David. Um, anyone else got any questions? Yeah. I mean, like I said, this, this, this meeting today is really like for us to all kind of have an understanding of, of, of what the scripture says. Like it's summer out there, you know, for a lot of people it's difficult walking around because there's flesh on display. That's temptation for some people. But the thing is, what we need to do is we need to walk with the armor of God. Do you understand what I mean? Ephesians speaks of it. Um, there's always going to be temptation presented to us. Lust is something that is considered a sin. If you lust after a woman in your heart, then that is already a sin. You already commit adultery. Um, so the best thing to do is, is, you know, there isn't like a specific prayer that you need to find from the Bible to speak to God about. Speak to God in your own way. Say, God, I have this difficulty. Can you help me with this desire that I have? Can you, you know, uh, sorry, talk, go for it. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask. So, you know, the verse, this has been on my mind a while. Um, the verse of, uh, if you lust after woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Are you ready? So, okay. So like, does that mean that if I was to, Wait, hold on, mom. I'm in. I'm in a thing. Hold on, hold on. Uh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. It's all right. 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 No, I was saying. I was saying. Yeah. You know, so if I was to think, if I was to see a beautiful lady, you know, walk past, and I was saying, "Damn, in my mind, you know, this woman's very beautiful." Obviously, compliment her in my mind. Sometimes, you know, as men or even as women, I, I don't know, but you know, you start to think, you know, certain things you know that can go off off um off what you're meant to be thinking about about this certain person would that be a sin thinking about it and then let's say if you realize you're doing it you rebuke it and then you carry on going would that be a sin or would it be a sin when for example you just keep thinking about no regard about you know um, i'm rebuking these thoughts or or even just trying to distract yourself from this with the word of god or with speaking to someone else you know what i mean Mm, yeah, no, I totally get it. Um, I just want to, again, you know, for me, I'm massive on language. So I want to look at the word lust, yeah? Okay, so I've okay. just given the word lust. And the word lust says strong sexual desire. That's what mm. it says in the dictionary. So when we, see, when we use this word lust, if we're looking at a woman, and as the dictionary says, with a strong sexual desire, then it's sin. Now, if you, as you said, if you've done that and you've rebuked it and you've repented of that, that, that thought in your heart and your mind, then it's okay. But the problem is, is when you continually walk around, because we all know as guys before Christ, we always do it. We always see girls yeah, that we like, we always do it. But it's like when, we become, when we become Christian and we're in Christ, <coughs> we, know, we know that that's a sin. It says that we've already committed adultery in our heart. So it's the fact that you've thought about the action of a strong sexual desire with a woman in your heart it's a sin against God. Do you understand what I mean? But as long as you rebuke it, 
like, I'm not saying like, don't get me wrong. If you see a woman, right? If you see a woman mm. and like she's, uh, I'm gonna use it, packaged herself in a particular way, you know. Mm. Um, you've seen that she's packaged herself in a particular way. How can I put it? I, I'm gonna use this word loosely. I know there's some women in here, but I'll be very, very honest with this. Um, mm. If a woman is talking to you and she's dressed seductively, that mm. means that her intentions are to seduce. Mm. Because the word seduction means to seduce, which is, I'm going to be honest with you, yes, a form, it it's, a form, mm. it's a form of sorcery. Seduce and seduction mm. is a form of witchcraft. It's a form of sorcery. So if you, that's why they always say um, some men become bewitched. Have you heard that term, bewitched? So all of these types of things, um, we have to guard ourselves and we have to guard our hearts, we have to guard our minds because that's where you will fall into sin. That's where you'll fall into sin in your mind. Do you understand? You know, if you're talking to a woman, if you go outside, God forbid this will never be any of our portions, but if you talk to a girl, just a normal girl, and she's wearing a, just a bra, that's all she's wearing, it's going to be very difficult for you to just look at her face and just concentrate on her face. So if she's just wearing a bra, that means that she's trying to seduce you into looking uh, elsewhere. Yeah. Dan, can I say, um, when some women seduce um, men, is it because they've got like the Jezebel spirit in them? Or is it just because it's like a fleshly desire that they enjoy doing? Um... You see, this is it. This, 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 this is where I'm not trying to. This is not an attack. Or, this is not a gender attack or anything like that. But it's just purely observation for me as a man. And again, I'll go back to what I said before. When you're not in Christ, you're living in a world of darkness. Do you understand? Um, because we live in a world. We live in a like. We live in a fallen world where everything that is of a sinful nature becomes normalized. I'll give an example. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. This Apple sign, this is something that we all celebrate as what well, this company celebrates as, as, as a brand. This is a sign of a fallen world because this was, this is basically when, when Eve and Adam and Eve bit the apple. So I'm using this as an example to say that this is a symbol of a, a company that they use, which is their brand, but it actually symbolizes a fallen world that we all live in. So when we talk about people who dress in a particular way or live in a particular way, our society that we live in has become very sexualized. Mm. So a woman who dresses in a provocative way, in her mind, she mm. might not believe that she's dressing in a way that's offensive. Mm. But if she, doesn't, if she doesn't know the word of God, if she doesn't have a relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit in her, then she won't know. So I don't want to go as far as saying the Jezebel spirit. I don't want to go as far as saying that. But I would just say that she's living in a lifestyle where she's not aware it's simple, mm. you know? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That's what I wanted to add on, actually, what you d exactly said, because I think, and, and, you know, like, exactly as you said it, because that's what I was thinking, and it's, it comes down to the person, the way they dress. Yeah. And because if you have, or even if, you're a woman in Christ or you're a man in Christ, you would watch what you wear. You would watch what you wear. Like uh, there, there was one, one particular time where I saw this jumper and I looked at it and I thought it had, I don't want to say it, but like 
it had the freaking um you know the the thing mm. and i thought yo yeah 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 so you know exactly i thought yo, what is this? what kind of t-shirt or jumper is this mm. like and exact and it's exactly as you said mm. as well like um you know with people who are who are not either born again or not born again well maybe not born again and they're not aware of you know what they're wearing can easily spark up people but yeah yeah um do you know what's so funny is that i actually there's a friend that i know who just recently done a quite a big um chat on a youtube um channel or a christian community and um there was a girl on there who's been christian for like many years i'll say 16 17 years she's been celibate like as in no sex before marriage for 15 years um so she's cool with it she's just like yeah you know i don't entertain any guys and stuff like that however and this is not me criticizing her because i know there's a big thing in this community about christians judging people and i i i, I i'm big on correction not judging so anyway she said that Someone answered the question because she wears a lot of swimsuits. Hold on one second, Tuck, one second. Sorry, um, bro. You know that? Oh, 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 go on, go on. My bad, my bad, my bad. My bad. <clears throat> um, what, what she does is, what she does is she wears swimsuits a lot and she takes pictures with these swimsuits and she puts them on Instagram. But she's a very well-known Christian. She said that she has no problems with taking bikini pictures and putting them on Instagram. Um, and then she said that everybody has different levels of conviction in Christ. Some people feel that, oh, do you know what? I'll, the Holy Spirit will convict me this day that I shouldn't wear this. <clears throat> then my friend who was on the show said not all of us have to wait for that conviction by the holy spirit the conviction is actually always in the bible so if you read the bible and you know the word of god i know that it's a sin to have sex before marriage i don't need the holy spirit to convict me i know it's a sin so for her as a, as a, as a, as a woman in christ she should already know the word of god and she say to herself actually do you know what me wearing this because my body is a temple of the holy spirit why would I want to offend God? Because I'm presenting myself as a, as a child of God. And also, I posed a question. I, I wrote a comment on the, uh, on the YouTube because of this. And I said, I asked a question. If you knew you had the opportunity that you got a WhatsApp message from Jesus and he said he's going to come to your house at seven o'clock for dinner, would you wear that outfit? Ten times out of ten, they all said no. So it just it defeats the argument about what they say all the time because we always got to put it back to Christ. Um, so that's it. Sorry, Tuck, what were you going to say? Yeah, bro, um, just going back on a point. And another thing I wanted to add to what you were saying, you know, another thing is um, a question I always ask people or even I ask myself, you know, when I'm about to do something, not necessarily it's in the Bible, like it's written in the Bible. Because, you know, a lot of people, when they're objecting the Bible, they like to talk in literal sense. They like to say, well, yeah. okay, the Bible doesn't say, say this and say that and do, and do this. And, you know, and I'd say, and sometimes I ask myself, and this is a good thing to do. Um, if you ever find yourself asking yourself, is this a sin? You know, like, um, should I be doing this? If Jesus yeah. Christ of Nazareth was with you, would he join in? You know what I mean? Would he join in? Would he encourage you to do this? You know, that's, it. that's, that's one of the things that I saw helped me kind of distinguish between this is not okay to do and this is okay. You know, because if Jesus Christ is with me, would he join in or would he encourage and say, look, this is, this is a good servant of, of, of me and you know and this is how you should be living you know so that's a good way and the, my original question was you know this is this is one of the difficulties i have what i see when i do preach the real gospel not a watered down version a lot of people say oh you're judging you're judging 
you know, and, and you shouldn't judge. How do we execute, in a nutshell, how do we execute um, correction instead of judgment? You know, how do you execute real correction instead of judgment? Because sometimes I find myself, you know, and I question, am I, am I judging these people or am I just literally just listening to them and thinking that I'm judging when I'm preaching the gospel? You know, so if you can clarify in a nutshell, how do we execute real uh, from sincerity? I mean, like correction. <clears throat> yeah, so um, I'll go back to what I spoke on last week. When I spoke on last week about about false prophets, and I'll go there really quickly. Um, Second Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul was speaking to the Corinthians and he was basically speaking to them, he was speaking to them from a place of correction. So what Paul was saying is he started off the actual um, letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. So yeah, just give me a few seconds, I'm getting on my iPad. Um, just to answer your question, bro, give me a sec. Yeah, so Second Corinthians chapter 11, um, I'll just read it very quickly. So it says, Paul says here, Oh, that you will bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous with you. So, so I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So this is Paul correcting the Corinthians, but he's starting by saying that I am jealous of I'm jealous of you with a godly jealousy. So he's correcting them, letting them know that I'm correcting you because I've prepared you as an apostle for Christ, but yet you're allowing a different doctrine. So what I'm saying is any form of, I don't want to say judgment, correction that's done with love and it's also done with the word of God is never judgment. But if you're talking about going out and preaching the word of God or even preach, because preaching the gospel doesn't have to be standing on the street. Preaching the gospel can be speaking to your brother. Preaching the gospel mm. can be having a conversation with your with your mum, uh, whoever. But I think what it is that we have to be very sensitive to the fact that um, <laughs> the word of God offends. The word of mm. God always offends people. It says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's mm. going to offend. It's going to cut deep. So I always say to people, whenever you're speaking about the word of God to people, yeah, speak about it from a place of love, but also speak about it from a place of the Holy Spirit because it can be very flesh-led. And if we speak from our flesh, we speak with emotion and we're quite passionate about Christ. I know I'm passionate about Christ. And sometimes your passion, your passion can get misconstrued for judgment, for being aggressive. That's it, man. You know? Honestly. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I'm not going to go on, but that just, that makes sense from experience. You know, a lot of people say, you know, why are you speaking so loudly and so like, you know, as if, are you God or this? You know, have you seen everyone saying, you know, this? And, and it's like, you know, they, they, they say, oh, you're judging, you're judging, you know, don't judge. You know, if Jesus was here now, he'd be, you know, welcoming us or something. And maybe it's, well, it is because of their misconception of Jesus that he's just this hippie. You know what I mean? That goes around and gives everyone hugs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that. You know what I'm saying? So, so of course, of course, Jesus loves, but he, there will be a time when he comes and judge and judges, you know, and, and. I feel like that's a very important, we have to get that message out of judgment. There is judgment, but there is a lot of love and there is joy that can't be measured. And that you can, you can achieve that and get to that with, through Jesus Christ. And that's the only way, you know, so that clarifies. Thank you. No worries. Like I say to anybody, if you ever want to speak about it, it's, it's always got to be done by the Holy Spirit. Like every time I've ministered to my family, to friends, I've never sat there and said, 
okay, 2.30 on Saturday, I'm going to go to my sister and I'm going to go and minister. It's something that the Holy Spirit just brings up. Do you understand? It might be a matter of someone might turn to you one day and say, Jessica, do you know what? I just admire the way that you're so calm and you're so peaceful. Like, I don't know, what, like, what is it? What makes you so calm and so peaceful? Why is it? And you can turn to me and say, you know what? It's the joy of the Lord that gives me this inner strength. And, you know, I want to tell you for my, just your testimony, just you talking about your testimony coming into Christ is the Holy Spirit operating you to preach the gospel. The gospel doesn't have to be you standing and talking about the Ten Commandments like Moses. It's never that deep. So, um, yeah, like, that's it, man. Anyone else got any questions? I think, sorry, someone else put something in the chat. I'll just quickly look. So I think it was David. Uh, David said, it depends on personality. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess so, David, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, just like I said, in anything in the terms of seeking answers that we want, um, let's just always go to God about it. But I think more specifically with this topic of celibacy, it's important, like really, I really want you to guys to understand this. It's important for us to keep ourselves pure up until that point of marriage, do you understand what I mean? I'm not saying that, <clears throat> and I'm not, I'm not advocating this, you know, people do backslide, people do have problems where they do fall into sin, but I want us to try and, because uh, as I said already, we're no longer on a playground, we're on a battleground. So the enemy is gonna come with us with loads of different devices to, 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 to get us to sin. But it's important for us to keep ourselves free from that you know and staying celibate waiting for the one that you marry if anyone's got any problems or anything like that experiencing that you know we can always go to god and pray about it just simple conversation and saying to god god please help me i'm struggling with these fleshly desires or this girl that i'm speaking to um carly or that girl that i'm speaking to i really like her a lot and i really feel these urges can you help me just speak to god about it and i'm telling you yeah he will make he will make a way for you he'll always have that escape route set for you there so i just want to I want us to focus on that. I'll put those scriptures in the group after for anyone to take and meditate and pray on. Um, and just uh, pray in the name of Jesus that it all, it all helps us. So I'm just going to close up now. If anyone's got any other questions, I'll close. No, thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. No worries. No worries, man. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to pray. Father, Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that these words, Lord God, that have been spoken from your scripture, that Paul the Apostle has spoken, Lord God, and written to the church of Corinth, that Lord God, that we use this, Lord God, that we see these mistakes that have been made and we don't repeat them, Lord God, because we know that you provide an escape for us in all temptation. Father God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that all of us are have been called by your name, who are now, Father Lord, saved by your grace, Lord God. I pray that we remain in a place, Lord God, of purity. Lord God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that each and every one of us who have been, uh, that are before you now, we know that, Lord God, that you have a special uh, husband or wife for each and every one of us. So in the name of Jesus, Lord God, I pray that we remain and keep ourselves in that place of purity. Guide us, Lord God. Guide us for your Holy Spirit. Guide us for your words. Guide us for your scripture. Guide us through the body of Christ, Lord God. If we ever feel short, Father Lord, that we need any assistance or any struggle, Father Lord, assist us for your word, assist us for those who are in the body of Christ, assist us in ways that, Father Lord, cannot be understood by our own human understanding. Father God, I just pray for your word to minister to each and every one of us, not just to minister, but to apply, Lord God. Let us not leave this, Father Lord, this, this, this Bible study today without a thorough understanding of what you're able to do in our lives. I thank you for the gathering today, Lord God, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you minister and move from person to person. In the name of Jesus, I give you thanks. I give you glory. I give you honor and all the adoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Amen. Man. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. No Thank worries, bro. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful session. Take care. Take care.
from a biblical perspective and i'm going to take us back to genesis so if you have, if you can i'm going to read from the amplified version but if you can go to genesis chapter 3 from verses 1 to 6 so that's what i'm going to be reading from uh, i'll give you some time to get there um, but as i said i'll be reading from the amplified version just for clarity so everyone can kind of get the context of what's been said so i'll give you a few seconds to turn there So I'm going to read from there now. Okay. So it says, Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God had said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat fruits from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the, tr from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, shall certainly, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That is, you will, you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. And then the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful. She took some, some of its fruits and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband with her who ate it. So again, this scripture, the reason why I went here was because to me it was, it was profound that the enemy was able to use God's word against man and twist the word, distort the word, and sell it back to man in order for man to kind of basically sin um, and using God's word, as I said, to, to do that as a weapon. Because obviously we know that the enemy knows the word better than, than man. Um, so, yeah, I just saw this as, as, as quite an interesting scripture to kind of use as a reference point as the origins of false teaching from its very early stages. Has anyone got any questions to ask? Has anyone got, think anything of that scripture that I read that they might have, that might have ministered to them or they want to open up before I move on to the next scripture? Okay. Um, for me personally, I wanted to look at, I wanted to look at verse four. So verse four in the Amplified Version says, um, give me a second. But the serpent said to the woman that you, sh you shall certainly not die, for God knows that the day that you eat from the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will have greater awareness and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. So again, here, the reason why this verse ministered to me and what I saw in it is, again, is that the enemy was able to use the word of God. So it just, it, it, for me, it showed me that man, if man doesn't know the word fully and meditate on the word and have it in, have it in our hearts, there's an opportunity for us to get doctrine given back to us from a heretic, heretical perspective, meaning that the word can be distorted, add to or taken away or given to us or dressed up in a way for us to, to commit sin or to, and I, I don't mean sin in a sense of premeditated sin. I mean sin from a perspective of it being sold to us in a way where God's word's been used for us to do it, do it in a way of us not knowing, which was the result in the fall of man. Um, 
also, let me just look again if I six. And in verse six, it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took from, from its fruit and ate it. So again, it's God specifically told man not to take from that tree, otherwise it would be a sin. But obviously the enemies use God's word again uh, in order for, for man to look at. So it's almost like today I can kind of put it in context where there's something said in a lot of churches in relation to prosperity. And I feel like there's a lot of times where pastors say things such as God doesn't want us to be poor. God, God wants to bless us abundantly financially. So we're not talking about, for me, the reason why I use this as a reference point is because the, the, the fruit's been used and something that appeases the flesh has been used. So what I'm saying is in essence, a lot of churches, you'll hear pastors speaking about money, prosperity and finance these are things that are feeding our flesh and we know that abundantly really we need to be fed in our spirit so this kind of ministered to me on that level in terms of how um god's word's been used for us to commit for the man to commit sin there and also i wouldn't say sin in the sense of us wanting finance i don't believe is a sinful thing but i believe it becomes distorted when we go to church and we have a relationship with christ based on transactional christianity in terms of going to God for finances, going to church for things uh, that will benefit us in terms of our physical experience, in terms of our finances and things like that. You know, I believe, I can't remember the exact scripture, I don't want to paraphrase, but there was a time when uh, people were only following Jesus because of bread. They weren't following Jesus because of what he could give them spiritually. Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, that's it. So has anyone got any questions in relation to that? I just want to ask if, if Christian, who just came in, if you could mute your phone for me, please. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, if no one's got any questions, if we could all turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, so this, I'm just going to be reading from this now because this, it kind of links with what I read slightly. As I said, I've already just read from the, the origins of when God's word was first distorted and, and man was, man was uh, kind of given false information. So I'll read from, chapter, from verse 1. I'm going to go up to verse 15. Again, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. So this is Paul, Apostle Paul, speaking to the people of Corinth. Um, during a time when there was some false teaching being done by some false apostles during that time. So I'll read it very anyone will unload it. So it says, I wish you would bear with me a little while while I indulge in a little foolishness. But indeed you are bearing with me as you read this. I am jealous with you. Sorry, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you to be one husband to present you as pure as a pure virgin to Christ, Ch uh, verse three. 
But I am afraid that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, by cunning your minds, uh, sorry, Eve by his cunning, your minds may be corrupted and led away by simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For you seem willing to allow it, to allow it, if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. You tolerate all this beautifully, welcoming the deception. Yet I consider myself in no way inferior to the so-called super apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speaking, yet I am not untrained in knowledge. If I know, that, if I know what I'm talking about, but we have made this evident to you in every way, in all things, or did I perhaps sin by humbling myself to you, by humbling myself that you might be exalted and honored because I preached God's gospel to you, free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting more than their share of financial support for my ministry to you. And when I was with you and ran short financially, I did not burden any of you, for what I what I needed was fully supplied by the brothers Silas and Timothy, who came from Macedonia, the church of Philippi. So I kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, my boast of independence will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia, southern Greece. Why? Because I do not love you or wish you well or have regard for your welfare. God knows that I do. But what I am doing, I will keep doing for I am determined to keep this independence in order to cut off the claim of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things that they brag about. For such men are counterfeit apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, since Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So is it, not, is it, no, it is no great surprise if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, but their end will correspond with their deeds. So I know that was quite a long read, but does anyone have anything to say? Is, is anything spoken to anyone at all? I'm gonna come in there. For me, it's, it's saying, um, being a, a catechist myself, um, or there's, there's loads of um, false gods. The devil could use anybody to do his bidding. You know, so, um, how do I put it? I don't want to be condescending, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on there that is um, false gods, you know, um, and giving you uh, the bad news, making you feel good about yourself, but in the wrong way. Mm. If you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, 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 I do. So I think what what stuck out to me the most about this scripture was when he was talking about preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel with a different spirit. Um, the reason why I say that is because 
from a biblical perspective, we understand what Jesus means to us. But if we compare how we view Jesus as biblical Christians compared to, let's say, someone who's Muslim, someone is Muslim who looks at Jesus, they believe in Jesus as in Jesus to be a prophet. They don't believe in Jesus to be the son of God and God at the same time. Um, that's the same for people who are Jehovah's Witness. I've got a sister who's Jehovah's Witness. But again, every, these different faith groups and different, even people in the body of Christ, they can preach a different Jesus, depending on how they attach the doctrine to it and, and sell it back to you. I don't want to say sell, but preach it to us individually. So I think for me, what Paul's saying in this scripture essentially is, if we go to the very beginning of what he says, he's saying that um, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I've promised you to one husband to present you pure, as a pure virgin to Christ. So what he's saying essentially in that first verse, second verse, is how he's preparing us or he was preparing them in Corinth um, for a relationship with Jesus because we all know that we are the bride of Christ. We're married to Jesus. So when he comes back, he's coming back for his church. And for those of you who might not know, he's not talking about the building. He's talking about us individually as Christians because this is where the Holy Spirit dwells. So he's angry, he's saying, with a godly jealousy because he's given them the doctrine, he's given them the gospel, which has been given to him by the Holy Spirit. And he set up these different churches and given them the correct, correct sound doctrine. But what happened is as he's left, there's been some other people that have come in and preached a different gospel, but they've been able to articulate themselves because he says here, um, you know, unlike the super apostles that are among you now, I believe from my research that these people have come in with different doctrine, have been, um, there's a word that we use in the body of Christ with some preachers, charismatic. So preachers who are a little bit more articulate, there's a way that they deliver the gospel to us, which sounds good. Um, you know, I'll give you a quick um, idea of what I mean. I used to go to a church before and their mantra was shaping lives, fulfilling dreams and guaranteeing success. That was their, that was their pinnacle um, mantra, we could say. And for me, going to that church, I never went there for that reason. But if you're saying those three things to somebody, you're not really coming for Jesus. You're coming for guaranteed success. You're coming for your life to be shaped not by Christ, and you're coming for your dreams to be fulfilled. Um, so what I'm saying in essence is that if you're going to look for Christ and you're going to get the sound doctrine that you're looking for, you've got to be going purely for the, for the word of God and for the spirit, of, and for the, spirit the Holy Spirit as well. Anyone got anything else to say? No. Okay. I'll just say another thing as well. When we say like, uh, when I say like a, a different Jesus as well, um, I'll give another example. Christmas time is a time where a lot of people come together to celebrate Christ or Christmas, the gathering of families. But there's a lot of people who are celebrating the birth of Jesus. So Again, this is a different Jesus because we all know the Jesus that actually went into ministry from the age of 30 years old to 33 was a Jesus of repentance, whereas the Jesus of Nazareth, the baby Jesus, is more celebrating the life. So if we're opening presents and we're celebrating Christmas, which is good, but those who are not Christian are not looking at it from a perspective of repentance and salvation. So again, that again is another way I could use as an example of a different Jesus. Um, and, um, bear me a moment. 
And so, yeah, for me, it's just like the questions that I want to ask. I mean, I don't know if anyone, you know, you don't have to answer it now, but the questions that I pose myself while reading that scripture is, um, how are we supposed to preach Jesus? If you were to speak to Jesus about, if you were to speak to somebody who's not in Christianity about Jesus, what would you say? How would you speak about Jesus from a perspective of making that person repent or making that person seeing Jesus as you see Jesus, as the, our Lord and Saviour and someone that has died for our sins um, and died on the cross? Can anyone answer that? Okay. Um, and there's another two questions, two things I wanted to pose. I'll put this at the end of the group as well. There's a right way to preach Jesus and know him. Um, and I'd also say that there's a wrong way to preach Jesus and know him. Do you see what I mean? So um, someone said choice or choose, David said. Okay. Um, yeah, so again, like I said, there's, I want to quickly turn, if you can quickly, um, turn to 1 Timothy 3.16, the King James Version. Okay, so I'll just quickly read from it. And this is, for me, this is like a standout point to identify when in any kind of conversation with anyone in Christianity, whether they're pastor, preacher or minister. Um, and it says, and without controversy, the great, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So this scripture to me is, is clearly identifying that Jesus was born as a man, but is also God. Um, so again, if we're not seeing that being spoken about in, in, in the body of Christ, if we're not identifying Jesus as from that perspective um, or not being preached about in that perspective, then that's a clear indication of things not really kind of going the way they should be. And also, like I said, I think the clear point for me is repentance. If we're not preaching, if we're not in a congregation or in a, in a body of Christ or worship or church where the pastor or the leader is not preaching on repentance, um, then I think we've got a bit of an issue. And I just want to touch back on the scripture that I was on previously as well. Dan, can I say something? Yeah, yeah. Um, say, example, if um, the pastor is um, preaching a good word, but he's not um, preaching on repentance, what does it mean? Does he, is he, would you say he's a um, kind of, how do I say, would you say that he's a good pastor from God or would you say that, um, that he must preach on repentance? Does every pastor have to preach on repentance? In order to I, think, I, I, think it's in, I think in regards to our salvation as Christians, for us individually going to the church, I'm not saying that the pastor needs to preach on repentance every single sermon, but if we know that the pastor is talking about something in regards to a specific thing, so let's just say, let's just talk about fornication in, in the body of Christ. We know that fornicating before marriage, because sex is a covenant. That's a covenant between a man and a woman, which should only be done in marriage. 
So if the pastor preaches on sex before marriage and uh, let's not say let's just say fornication, if the pastor preaches on fornication and he doesn't preach on on us repenting of that fornication, then I believe it's a detriment to our walk as Christians because repent means to stop and to turn from what we're doing and to and to ask for God's forgiveness, obviously, but to stop what we're doing, to turn from. So if he's not preaching on repentance from a particular sin, I wouldn't say he's a false teacher, but he's not, he's not trying to get, stop you from, from essentially being in that bondage of sin. So I think it's important for pastors to tell us what we're doing wrong and to correct us from what we're doing wrong. It's the same as if we have a child. If you have a child that's doing something wrong, you're going to tell them, you're going you're gonna to correct that child. So I believe that no matter how old we are in Christianity, we're all children of God. Some are at different levels. Some are on milk. Some are on food. As long as we all understand what we're doing is wrong and we turn from that, from a biblical perspective using scripture, then yeah. Anybody else? Um... There was another scripture in here as well, in the second Corinthians two, where Paul's talking about finances um, as, as, as a preacher during this time. So um, I just wanna go back to it very quickly. So in, from chapter seven, it says, or did I perhaps sin humbling myself so that you might be exalted and honored because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting more than their share of financial support for my ministry to you. So what Paul's saying in that scripture is that during that time, the false preachers that came in were charging people for the gospel. They were actually making them pay for God's word. And Paul was saying during that time, even though he needed money, Paul didn't have any food to eat. He relied on other churches to actually support him and his ministry to bring God's word around during that time. Now, <laughs> I know this is a bit of a controversial topic. I'm not saying that that it's wrong for pastors to ask for people to tithe. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you have got a, a culture of finance being quite a big thing. So, you know, I'll give you an example. I got, I got invited to a apostles event um, who basically said, in order for us to receive a blessing, um, we have to bring a check to the front for 300 pounds. Now, you know, some people decided to go and pay that amount of money and there's somewhere there's been you know uh pastors asking for some money for anointing oil you know um again i'm just using paul's what paul said and paul is saying he didn't charge them for the gospel he didn't charge them as someone to spread the word of god and he relied on his brothers and sisters i know that back then um in the new testament time the culture of of the jewish and hebrews they kind of supported each other from a family perspective financially but what I'm saying is, if Paul's saying as a man of God who had a direct dealing with Jesus, you know, didn't charge them for the gospel, but yet these people are coming in preaching heresy and twisting God's word, charge them for, for the gospel. You know, I think you can, you know, we, we can clearly see that he can judge via someone's fruits. Um, so, yeah. Anyone got any questions on that? Um, is it wrong for a pastor to live in, um, say, living, um, I don't know, say, is it wrong for a pastor to have luxury stuff, like display luxury stuff? Because um, 
because isn't it going to be distracting to people because people are going to be looking at the pastor so he's got this he's got this private this he's got this private that but instead of them mm -hmm. focusing on um uh how to say focusing on what god has presented to them they're looking at what the pastor has so it's going to distract them is it like um is it wrong for a pastor to have um luxury different luxury stuff uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think, you know what, it's, it's, it's such, I think for me, unless that pastor can really declare the finances, like there's some churches I know that they have a system where they actually declare the money, where the money goes, how the money is, but to answer your question, in terms of pastors having luxury items and private jets and multi-million pound houses, I only go based off biblical things, what the Bible says in terms of scripture. And all I can see within that is um, there's a, if, if, if his finances is only coming from the church, only coming from the body of Christ, then there might be some questions asked by people, rightfully so. Um, but if he's got a, a separate business venture, because you have got some pastors who sell books, you have got some pastors who have different business uh, that outside of, outside of the church. It's not for me to say, if I'm honest with you, but I think it's between them and God. And if they are spending money illegitimately and wrongly, then they do have to answer to the, to the church for that, I think. Um, I'm not a pastor. I don't know the full financial literacy behind how everything's orchestrated financially, so I can't say. But it, it, it does raise questions, I'll say that for me. Is anyone, I think no. someone, a friend, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, can I just come in there? Um, I go to a Catholic church and um, we had a building fund go in, you know, um, and then um, everyone was quite happy because we was going to be fixing up the church, we was going to be fixing up the church hall so that the community can get, you know, use of that hall because it needed fixing. Yes. And then... Um, the priests moved on and another priest took over and then everything, you know, went to a standstill. And all of a sudden, um, we kept on, we saw the um, church, although we were still putting in the pounds, you know, every week for the, for the building fund, um, when we saw, like, things were happening and the hall wasn't being fixed, everybody went up in arms, you know, the congregation went up in arms. And we demanded to know where that money went. Mm. And we, you know, the, the finance, the, the, the paperwork was made available mm. for the leaders to come and see where that money went. So um, when Jess says that, is it wrong for pastors to be living in, in luxury? You know, um, some, because I'll come from a Catholic background, um, mm. you don't always see that, you know, but some other churches, um, um, everybody's to their own. You know, uh, but some um, churches, they do feed on getting that money from the congregation. You know, um, I, uh, my cousin, she joined the church and she actually gave up her high-powered job, um, gave half the salary that she got um, to the church. And then um, she ended up, literally on the street if it wasn't for the family you know because she didn't have nothing because she gave everything to the church you know she's pulled back now 
um, she's still in the church, but she's, it's like her eyes was open because everyone was getting, everyone that was the leaders, they were getting, you know, driving Mercedes Benz, so to speak, you know, and Rolls Royces, you know. So it did, you know, it does make you think, you know, whether they sh that should be, uh, um, how would I put it, a presence for the pastors, for the vicars in the church, you know, because a lot of people just see, oh, well, you know, it's um, it's a God, you know, a, a worship thing that they would, you know, give pastor that much money if he's asked for, you know, to give it to him. But who benefits, you know, who benefits from, it could be false worship, you know? Mm. And everyone's yeah. quiet, but, you know, I don't want to, you know, no, I'm not no, a... church. Because I'm I'm a, I'm a Catholic, I'm a true fact Catholic. I've got my rosary there with me. I say well, my rosary every day, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it still does make me, you know, think. I've come from a um, Catholic background. I've done. Um, I was a catechist, a Sunday school teacher in a Catholic church. Um, I still teach young children, um, you know, away from the church. You know, so I still have my belief because I was my grandmother brought me up with her in the West Indies, so it's still in me. But it does still make me think, you know. Yeah. Because you, no, you, you know, you learn things every day. I definitely, definitely. Yeah. The only thing I would say to answer your question, I know someone else has got a question in the group, I'll answer in a minute. Mm -hmm. The only thing I'll say to that is when you're giving, in terms mm -hmm. of like your, your, um, your tithes or your offerings, yeah. You're giving to God. So, do you yeah, understand? So, I feel it, like, yeah. for me, it's down to the, it's almost like this. It's almost like I know that if I go to a shop to buy something, mm -hmm. if the manager who's counting up the money at the end of that day, if it's, I don't know, like a clothing store, decides to take that money and spend mm -hmm. on his wife, that's, that's, that's his choice. That's his, but, that's his conscience, yeah. Yeah, so, so for us as Christians, when we're giving, when we're tithing, we're giving unto God because yeah. a lot of this is Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, what people would do, it would be offerings. So they'd be giving mm -hmm. offerings unto God, but a lot of the time it would be sin offerings. So it would be a dove, it would be a specific mm -hmm. animal that would be very hard to get or quite expensive. So when we're giving these things unto God, he knows it's our heart. from there, yeah. Yeah, he knows our heart. So we can't, when these people are spending the money on what they're spending it on, mm -hmm. I'll get to that. I'll, I've got a scripture for that, but I'll get to that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so no, I, I, say, I just wanted to say that because, you know, I mean, with me, um, even like when I've been ill, I've managed to go to church because I need that blessing. I'm not going for the priest, I'm not going for the congregation, but because for my spiritual, you know, so, so, so to speak. Yeah, and if I cool. can't go, I would do the, the, the prayers at home, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, no, I old school. no, I get it. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to answer David's question because he said he, he's, got, he's got a question here. So it says, some pastors mm -hmm. force other people to give money every Sunday to give. The last, last year, my pastor was asking me to give money every Sunday, even though I didn't have money to give. Um, okay. See, if your pastor's... Sorry, I was just reading that from the chat. Um, to answer your question, David, if your pastor's forcing you every Sunday to give, there's a problem. There's a problem there because... You know, if you don't have it, giving is not, it's not an obligation. You're not obligated to give. As, as we just, as I just said to, um, to the mum there, um, it has to come from the heart. Even if you've got the money, you don't want to give it. It's, it's not, 
something that you're forced to do. You're giving from your heart because you want to give to God. Also, I just want to say something else as well. Like giving doesn't always have to, it's not, it doesn't have to be financial. You can give in other ways. You can give in service to God. You can see somebody in the back of your church who's, a, who's an auntie or who's an uncle and you might want to offer to clean that person's house for a month. Do you know what I mean? You can give in that way. For example, I've given, I give financially, but I also give in terms of how I can support people in the body of Christ. You know, it might be seeing someone in a hospital who hasn't got any family, who hasn't got any money, and I might go to the, to the hospital and give that person, buy that person food, you know, be around that person for a while. These are various ways you can give. If your pastor is asking, forcing you to give, then I think you, you've got a problem there. You've got a really big problem there. Um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to read another, another, another chapter from the book of Galatians, chapter one, um, from verse six. So I'll just quickly read, um, but I'll put all these in the group after for everyone to get the book, the verses and to read over it. So again, this is Paul speaking again, Apostle Paul still speaking again. Um, so it says, I am astonished and extremely irritated that you are so quickly shifting your allegiance and deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different, even contrary gospel, which is not really another gospel, but there are obviously some people masquerading as teachers who are disturbing and confusing you with misleading counterfeit teaching and want to distort the gospel of Christ, twisting it, into something which it obviously is not. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that originally preached to you, let him be commended to destruction. So they're saying that even an angel from heaven, an angel, if the angel from heaven distorts the word of God or changes the word of God to teach you a different gospel, he, he's to be condemned so you know if, if if paul's speaking with the power and the utterance of the holy spirit talking about what the outcome would be from an angel from heaven for distorting the word of god what do you think the outcome would be for a preacher in the church you know um and again i don't want to focus purely on the financial side because it is one big topic in the body of christ but if a pastor is using the gospel to make you give it's happened to me i've been in a church before where I was very new in my walk. It was my first year in Christ. I didn't know much about the body, about, I didn't know the, the scriptures theologically well for myself, um, but I still had the presence of the Holy Spirit, which convicted me that something wasn't right. And what it was is that we finished our period of prayer and fasting for 21 days. And the pastor basically said that one of the congregation laid it upon her heart to pay the electric bills for the church for the rest of her life. Now that's fine because that's something she wanted to do. But he used that as a reference point to say that we need to give, which is fine. I don't mind if you ask that you feel like we need to give, that's okay. But he said he wanted us to give a sacrificial offering. Now, he opened up and said that it needs to be something that hurts, something that isn't easy for us to give, hence why it's a sacrificial offering. And he, gave, he got the ushers to go around and give all of us pieces of paper we're talking a congregation of three, four hundred people um, and write down the amount of money you're going to give and your name next to it. And he asked even people that had their wives or their husband next to them to speak 
games for your five minutes. But as soon as he said that, I felt in my spirit quite uncomfortable because, again, if I'm going to give anything to God, it's between me and God. The amount that I give to God shouldn't matter. And if it's a sacrificial offering, then God needs to lay that on my heart that I need to do it, not a man. Um, so I, I'm just saying that in, as a reference point to say that I've been not a victim, but I've been in a, in a congregation where that type of doctrine, because if you go back to biblical times, there were sacrificial offerings unto God. Uh, there were people that gave sacrificial offerings. But again, that text that the pastor used from the Bible, he used that for financial gain um, to the body of Christ or to wherever that money was going to go. But again, for me, I didn't know the word of God well enough to know that that wasn't right. I'm saying this, I'm giving you this story because even without knowledge of the word of God fully, you'll have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you the discernment to know that that isn't right. So really, this whole thing today really is just to kind of bring your attention to false preachers that twist doctrine and, you know, might come to you with doctrine that you kind of know, but they've twisted it a little bit. My advice to everybody is to pray for discernment and to pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit, as well as reading the word of God and understanding text for yourself. Because the relationship with Christ, you know, if I want to speak to Jessica on this phone now, I'm going to call Jessica and speak to her. I'm not going to call David and tell David to call Jessica for me so I can speak to Jessica. So what I'm saying is in order for us to have our direct relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, yes, the pastor plays an important part in our relationship in terms of feeding the flock, with biblical uh, theology, but we have to use our own initiative. We have to study the word of God to show ourselves approved. And we have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that he can minister to us. Um, I, I, you know, again, in the Bible, it said that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. So if Satan can masquerade himself as an angel of light, it's also possible for the people who work for Satan to masquerade as preachers, but they're not. And I'll say this to you, and this is not an attack against preachers, by the way, or pastors, but I will say this, not every single person who preaches in a pulpit in a church was called by God. And that's quite important because some people go into that point of, of preaching God's word um, because they want to, not because God called them to. And this is sometimes how it results in, in what it results in with the prosperity and the church more turning into a business organization for finances. Please, if anyone's got any questions, I don't want to just talk at you. Jess, go ahead. Um, I want to ask, how do you know if um, a preacher is called by God to speak? How do you know? It's not for us to know. That's the thing. But it's for the, this, it's for the person who's actually there to know, you know, um, um, I don't want to paraphrase, but I'll give it very, very briefly. In the book of Samuel, Samuel was someone who was called by God. Um, I'll I, I find it and I'll put it in the group. There was a time where Samuel, his mom, Hannah, said that she would give her son. She said she will give her son to God if she blessed him, if blessed her with a child. So she gave her child to like this priest or, um, you know, this guy. And throughout that time he was growing up there, he was learning all the rituals. He was doing all the things. But then one day he heard God's voice, but he didn't know it was God. He thought it was the priest. So he got up out of his bed and he started running around and he started saying, are you calling me? Are you calling me? I can keep hearing this voice. And the man was saying, no, I'm not calling you. I'm not calling you. 
And he did it about three times. And then the fourth time, the guy said, it's not me, it's God that's calling you. So he heard God's voice. Samuel heard God's voice and him calling him to him being the man that he became. So I'm using that as a reference point again, because pastors, priests, or anyone operating at that level in the body of Christ must be called by God because you have to be operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, if you're not, you're speaking from flesh. And if you're speaking from flesh, you want to appease flesh. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, it's not for us to know if pastors or preachers are called, it's for them to know. And if they're not, and they're operating from a place of just wanting to preach for the sake of it, then it's between them and God. And a lot of them, I've heard from people in Christ, they've actually had to repent because, you know, we're, you're dealing with God's flock. You're, you're dealing with God's flock. So you're, yeah. And a lot of these, I don't want to get into it, but a lot of these preachers and pastors, they're not, it's, it's about serving God because we have to remember that Jesus came as a king of all kings down to earth to serve. He was a servant. And that's someone who was the king of all kings. And the problem is with a lot of these churches, a lot, a lot of these pastors actually end up being dictators or they end up being people, like David said, forcing people to give money. That's not, that's not, something, from the, that's not for something from the Holy Spirit. That's a very different spirit. Um, but again, if anyone's got any questions at this point, like, let me know. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really it. That's really it. I'm going to put all these scriptures. I'm going to put all these scriptures in um, for everyone to have a look at, at the end. But I just pray that you we all have a spirit of discernment and we study the word of god for ourselves and we let the holy spirit minister to us so that we know what's right and what's wrong and that's that's really it today man um uh jess do you want to close us out in prayer father god i come before you today lord thank you for allowing us to come to your presence lord thank you for allowing us the word to be ministered to our spirit lord help us to be able to focus on you lord and to be able to go to you for everything we need and to be discerning of anything that we've placed in our spirit lord and guide our path wherever we go lord and speak to us amends to us lord and help us not to be distracted by things around us but help us to be aware of the things that are around us that will cause us to draw away from you lord and who that we listen to our spirit, Lord, lead us to the right path and lead us to whatever any person or any pastor that we listen to help us to be able to, to speak to us, Lord, to help us to realize that if this is the right person from you, because you see, you know what, there's a lot of false prophets and a lot of false ministers out there. So help us to be able to be able to go to you whenever we can go to you anytime we want Lord and lead us to the right path Lord in Jesus name we pray amen 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 um yeah thank you Jess um thanks everyone um yeah I hope I hope it spoke to you on some level today yeah definitely yeah good good it's good to be part good um thank you so yeah we'll be back next week again um I might move on i think maybe 
but I'll put these, these scriptures in the group. Next week, I want to talk about something else, because I did touch on it briefly today. Um, I did speak about sex before marriage. Um, so I might touch on like the complications of, of disobeying God's, God's law in terms of sex before marriage and the importance of celibacy. Um, so yeah, I know that, you know, it's difficult for different people at different times of their walk. So I just wanted to speak about that next week and hopefully we can research from now until then. But thanks guys and God bless. See you next week. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.